Matthew 13. Uh, as you see, both of our families with drummers are out today, out of town this week. And uh, so we're having to improvise, do things without drums. But, you know, drums, no drums, he's still the same. And he still deserves the worship, the honor, the glory. Hallelujah. And uh, praise God. I think uh, Sister Mian and Kavan did a great job with that first song. Amen. Hallelujah. Leading us into worship. I'm hoping to get Sister Mian to play a little bit more and Brother Kavan to sing a little bit more because we were blessed by that. And uh, praise God. I'm just happy today. I tell you what, I just, I just feel like God is in this place and God's about to do something amazing. I think God's going to blow our minds today. Amen. I really, truly believe that. My wife and I did not coordinate those songs with this sermon. In fact, yesterday as God was revealing this and showing me what he wanted me to preach today, uh, all I could think of was, wow, God put those songs together today to really lead us into this sermon. I believe that God orchestrated that. Praise the Lord. I don't mean to embarrass them, but I want to thank God for the Joseph family coming in. Praise God. We know that they took the opportunity this weekend to get away for Valentine's Day, so we, we bless them. I, I apologize. I didn't mean to embarrass you, but I just got done talking about you guys, so uh, I figured I'd mention that they, they went away this weekend. They asked me if they could come in a little late today because of their, uh, their activities this weekend. We support families around here, and uh, we support marriage around here. I preached a couple weeks ago about marriage, and um, so any opportunity we can to bless and, and uphold marriage and family, we desire to do that. All right, Matthew 13, verse 54, says, And when he had come, he, meaning Jesus, had come into his own country, the country of Nazareth, the place to which he grew up. He taught them in the synagogue insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? I'm going to actually pause right there. I want you to hold that place because we're going to come right back there in just a moment. But I want you to flip over to Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. This is what Jesus taught in the synagogue. So it said, that Jesus was in Nazareth teaching. This is the story in Luke's account. It says, And he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, or Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Oh, praise God. 
Verse 20, and he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. You can see almost a dramatic uh, atmosphere to which he reads this, hands the book over, sits down. All the eyes are on him in the synagogue. They were fastened on him. And verse 21, and he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. This day. Praise God. Now, Luke's account, there's a lot more in depth. I'd encourage you to read that another time. But Matthew actually brings us a little bit more of a broad perspective as to what happens after that. So let's go back to Matthew 13 and verse 54. Says, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Verse 55, Is not this the carpenter's son? They knew him. They grew up with him. They were neighbors. Is not his mother called Mary and his brother James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Yes, Jesus had brothers and sisters, half brothers and sisters. Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him. But Jesus unto them, a prophet, Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. In other words, a prophet does not have honor in his own house, in his own country, with people who are used to him, comfortable with him, familiar with him. Verse 58, the most Tragic verse of Scripture in all the Gospels. It says, and he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Praise God. Today I believe God wants to perform signs and wonders. I believe God in this house today is going to heal. He's going to set free. He's going to deliver Praise God. But today we've got to recognize the one thing that may hold us back. And that is what I'd like to talk. Today I'm going to preach on the Savior next door. The Savior next door. Can we go to the Lord in prayer right now? Ask that His Spirit flow. Oh Lord God, I pray today that You would install faith into every heart in this house. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke doubt and fear. Hallelujah, Lord God, release unto us the power of the Holy Ghost. For you said, these signs shall follow them that believe. They shall cast out devils. They shall heal the sick. If they take up any serpents, they shall not be harmed. If they drink any poison, they would not be hurt, Lord God. It is unto you, Lord Jesus, that we do these things today and believe in your healing power in Jesus name I submit myself to you Lord God in the name of Jesus we pray amen amen hallelujah won't you go ahead and rejoice in what the Lord is about to do hallelujah
Come on, praise is the atmosphere to which Jesus is able to perform miracles, signs and wonders. Lord, we rejoice in you. We praise and honor you here today. In Jesus' name, hallelujah, Lord, hallelujah, Lord. Praise God, praise God. Hallelujah. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, what an incredible thought. We know that Jesus didn't start his life at 30 years old when he performed that first miracle in Cana of Galilee, turning water into wine. We know he lived many years. In fact, again, 30 years before that event, he lived his life. No doubt he was a child who had to learn. No doubt he was a teenager who had to learn. In fact, one of the only uh, opportunities the Bible gives us to see a glimpse into his childhood is when he is at 12 years of age and he had to learn that it was not okay for him to stay in the temple and avoid his parents' words. He had to learn how to obey his parents because his flesh desired to do only what he was called and meant to do. So we can see where Jesus had to grow up. At first, he had to learn how to talk. Jesus didn't come out of the womb saying, peace be still to his milk, you know. He didn't come out of the womb walking on water. He didn't come out of the womb walking at all. Hallelujah. Praise God. He had to learn just as every other human being has to learn because he was absolutely a man. That's why the Bible can record things like Jesus was hungry and Jesus was tired. He was exhausted because he had to live with the flesh just like you and I had to live in the flesh. But as he grew older, we see where the Bible says he grew in favor with God and with man. Hallelujah. His neighbors who, who lived across the way in, in uh, uh, Nazareth, they all knew who he was. We got to remember that in those days, it's much different than these days. You, there's a possibility if I go down the line right now that you don't even know your neighbor's names. <laughs> I, I might be guilty of that. Praise God. We take them cookies every, uh, every Christmas. We try to connect with them. But more than likely in our culture, we're not big on talking to our neighbors, becoming familiar with the people around us. But in those days, the city that you lived in, the, the town you lived in, those were the people that you knew for all of your life. In fact, those might be the only people you would ever know in your whole life. People didn't travel far from their hometown. They typically stayed for a very long period of time. So in this situation, these were not just neighbors that you barely said hi to. These were people who were a community. They supported each other. They helped each other. They went down to the water together. They had feasts together. They held feasts together. When there was a marriage... The whole town came to celebrate it. Praise God. Hallelujah. Talk about having, you know, minimum seating. The whole town came to celebrate it. So it wasn't like these people just didn't know Jesus. No, they knew this man named Jesus. They grew up with him. 
They saw him as a child. They saw him, uh, and they, they, no doubt they played games with him. They hung out with him. They probably joked with him. They talked with him. There's no doubt that they were very familiar with Jesus, knew him on a personal level. As personal as you can know a God-man. Hallelujah. And so in that setting is where Jesus walks in for the very first time. And he begins to establish himself as the Messiah. When he read from Isaiah, that was not a coincidence and it was not a mistake. He specifically chose this passage of Scripture because it was recognized that this passage of Scripture was speaking of the Messiah that was to come. So by him standing up in the midst of them and reading from Isaiah 61, he was declaring, I am not just the Jesus you grew up with, the boy you played games with. Hallelujah the man that you talked with the guy you invited to your wedding hallelujah I'm not just the man that slept over at your house and stayed up all night playing around as a teenager I'm oh praise God I'm not just that person that you're used to I am the Messiah oh praise God I am the Savior And it was so dramatic for them in that day. As we continue to read Luke, you'll find that they even rose up to kill Jesus. It tells us this incredible story where they rose up, said many of the same things we read in Matthew. They took him to a cliff to throw him over the cliff. Why? Because they could not believe this Jesus that they had spent their whole life with was the Messiah. They knew him too well. They were too comfortable with him. They were too familiar with him. And they almost murdered the Messiah before his time. And I love what the Bible says. The Bible says, but he just walked among them. He just said, nope, not today, and walked by him. Hallelujah. Many people believe it was just because of the sternness that he had that they all stood there frozen and he just walked away. Hallelujah. Just recently we watched, I don't know if anybody's been watching the show, The Chosen. It's a show that you can find, I believe there's an app, Angel Video, I believe you can find on your apps. The show Chosen, it's about Jesus. And recently, the, I, God dealt with me on this sermon before this video, but just a couple days ago we watched the, the episode of this story. And I'm telling you, one of the most incredible episodes and and. Uh, TV shows, it's considered a TV show, it's a little bit more than that, but um, it's just incredible. If you've not seen The Chosen, I encourage you to go watch it. It's not 100% sticking with Scripture, but it definitely captures the spirit of Scripture. It is just incredible, but it showed this whole event taking place, and it was such an incredible thing. But I, I really, after that again, I felt God saying, okay, this is, God's wanting me to preach on this. Why? It's because they knew him personally. The Bible says, Matthew 13, 55, they said, is not this the carpenter's son? 
Is not his mother called Mary and his brother James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? His sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? What do you mean he's able to do all these things? Now, if I may begin to, to tell you exactly what I feel God is trying to communicate with us today. We may not be a physical neighbor of Jesus, and we may not have the same similar uh, perspective as these people. Maybe we did not grow up getting to know him as a baby and a, and a boy and a teenager. But I do feel that as a church, and Christianity as a whole, and this church specifically, we can get to a point where we're so familiar and comfortable with Jesus that when Jesus wants to act in the role of a Savior and a Messiah, we could miss it as well. Oh, praise God. Is that all right here today? Hallelujah. Can I just communicate for a couple minutes Christianity as a whole? has gotten so doctrinal. And I'm not knocking doctrine. I believe in doctrine. They've gotten so caught up in teaching and preaching. I believe in all of that. However, they have completely forgotten that Jesus is a Savior. And Jesus is a healer. And Jesus is a miracle worker. Oh, praise God. They've gotten comfortable with Jesus of the Bible. That they're not willing to know Jesus on that personal level as a savior. Come on. I'm talking about they're okay with saying a prayer, but they're not okay with seeing and having an experience in Christ. Yeah, oh, I'm here to preach to you for a moment. It is not God's will for us to preach Jesus only. It's his will for us to experience Jesus. It's not God's will for us to sit around and have a relationship with him in a broad perspective that we too would see the miraculous power of God in our church services and in our lives. Oh, hallelujah. Is it possible in years of serving Jesus, coming to church, is it possible that we can attend church so much that we become so comfortable in the presence of God, that when Jesus begins to proclaim, I want to heal, and I want to deliver, and I want to set free, that it falls on deaf ears, and we say, oh, that's okay, Jesus. Oh, that's all right. Let me ask you, this is a rhetorical question. How many times have you come to church in pain and did not pray for a healing? How many times did you come to church knowing you had sin in your life and did not seek God for deliverance? Praise God. How many times have you come to church that week having been caught up in depression, loneliness, fear, and yet you did not bring it to God. And we say, 
Oh, I believe you're a wonder-working God as I hold on to my pain and I hold on to my depression. Oh, I believe you're a wonder-working God. Yes, I'm still dealing with my shame and my fear and my sin. Oh, I believe. Hallelujah. Is it possible that we can believe in Jesus? We can believe He is, but forget that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek after him. What are you trying to say, Pastor? I'm trying to say I'm, I'm tired of having church. I'm tired of coming and singing our songs, having our sermons, coming down for a five-minute altar call where we say our little prayers and then we go home. I'm ready to see God change people. I'm ready to see God heal. I'm ready to see God deliver. Hallelujah, Pastor. You've been on this for a couple days. I'm going to be on it for a long time. Hallelujah, because this is God's will for you and I. It's to be delivered. It's to be set free. It's to be made whole in the presence of God. Oh, pastor, but that's not very deep. If you want depth, come Wednesday. Is that all right? You want depth? Come Wednesday, Sunday morning. This is about evangelism. This is about seeing the power of the Holy Ghost. This is about praying for transformation. This is about having people repent of their sins, receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You want teaching? Come Wednesday night. We do a lot of teaching. But Sundays, this is about having an encounter with the Holy Ghost. This is about having an encounter with Jesus. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. Can I remind you that Jesus is here to be our Savior, not just our friend. Oh, praise God. He's here to be our Savior and not just our neighbor. Oh, and hallelujah. I, I pray we get to a point where we have a relationship with Him. I pray we get to a point where we're familiar with Him. I'm not saying have a relationship with Him is the problem. I'm saying getting too comfortable in a relationship that we forget He still wants to heal and He still wants to deliver. Praise God. Hallelujah. And I'm not preaching to you anything that God's not already dealt with me on. I can think of many, many times avoiding altar calls where they called for healing, knowing I have type 1 diabetes, and saying to myself, it's not God's time yet. I'm not going to do it this time. It's okay. Let other people get it this time. Tell you, I'm just changing my mindset. If God heals me, that's wonderful. If he doesn't heal me, that's up to him. But I'm going to seek the presence of God I'm going to pray for healing and I'm going to believe. Why? Because I'm just radical enough to believe He is my Savior. He is my healer. And if He did it in Scripture, He'll do it today. Hallelujah. And I'm not here trying to preach to you something I've not seen. I've seen Him heal. I've seen Him deliver. I've seen Him set free. Some of you here, you've seen it too. Hallelujah. See, but it's easy to believe that. Who, who here believes that Jesus has healed? Who here believes that Jesus has set free? Who here believes that Jesus has delivered? Let me ask you one more thing. 
not one more thing, but let me ask you something else. Who believes that Jesus is going to wipe away every tear from our eyes when he comes back? Who's radical enough to believe that Jesus is returning? That Jesus is going to rapture us out of here? Hallelujah. And when we go in there, there'll be no more pain. There'll be no more. So- oh, hallelujah. Who believes in that new heaven and new earth? Well, pastor, that's random. Why are you talking about that? It's because it's easier to believe that he's done it and to believe that he's going to do it than it is to believe that he's doing it now. But I proclaim unto you what Jesus said in that day. This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. He's saying it's not coming later. It's today. If you need healing, he's a healer today. If you need saving, he's a savior today. Oh, I feel the power of the Holy Ghost in this place. It is today. He's come to do it today. Today is the day of salvation. Today you can have your healing. Today, everybody shout today. Oh, why don't you shout it like you believe it? Today. Hallelujah. Because we can preach it. We can talk about it. We can on a base level believe in it. But I'm telling you, We've got to take it to the next level. And that's where we see it. Oh, and I believe we're going to see it today. Today, Jesus stood in the midst of them. And he began to preach Isaiah 61 and verse 1. I'm telling you, he wanted to make sure they knew this is what I'm here to do. He says, I am here to preach the gospel to the poor. He's not just talking about the poor physically or financially, but the poor spiritually, those who are in spiritual poverty. Oh, if you're in this place and you're running a little low in your faith and in your belief, a little spiritually poor. Let me preach to you for a moment today. God is going to deliver you. He's going to restore you in His presence. He said, I'm here to heal the brokenhearted. That means the afflicted. He, he means the afflicted in general, but the afflicted specifically, emotionally and mentally. Those who are struggling with emotion, emotional issues, mental issues. I'm telling you, we've seen it in this place. We've seen it in our, this place. Our dear brother Louise, we love brother Louise. Our dear brother Louise, he came in last year. And I can talk about, I talked about when he was here. He came in last year, almost exactly this time, last January. He came in and I'm telling you, he was, he'll tell you, he was mentally and emotionally unstable. He was on the verge of hurting and harming himself greatly. If I may be so bold as to say, and again, he's not here, but certainly I'll call him tomorrow, let him know I talked about this. Hallelujah, but, but hallelujah, he, he told me in that time I sat down with him that very first time. I sat down with him, went and did breakfast with him. He said, I'm afraid to speak. He said, when I wake up in the morning, I'm afraid if I talk, I'm going to blaspheme the Holy Ghost. 
He was so wrapped up in his mental instability because of things that had happened. He just lost two of his grandmothers, if I'm not mistaken. His grandfather was, was really having a hard time mentally. He was just in a mental, a very bad mental state. But then, but then, <laughs> but then. We baptized him in the name of Jesus. And God filled him with the gift of the Holy Ghost right over there. And can I tell you, God did a 180 on him. He completely was transformed. God healed him of his broken heart and the emotional and mental affliction that he was. Oh, let me tell you today, if you've got that, God can heal you today. God can set you free in this house here today. Said, I'm here to bring deliverance to the captives. There is no doubt he's talking about those who are captive by sin, Satan, and the law. We talked last week about us being captive by the third law of Romans chapter 7, the law of sin. But Jesus says, I'm here to set you free from sin. Let me tell you, I'll preach it. I'll preach it every week if I've got to. God is not desirous of you sitting in the church while also having sin in your life. I'm not here to condemn you or cast judgment. I'm here to proclaim to you there is deliverance in the presence of God. Oh, praise God. He's able to deliver you from drugs. Able to deliver you from pornography. Able to deliver you from lying. Able to deliver you from adultery. Anything that this flesh has caused you to fall captive to, He's able to deliver you today. 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 I'm here to bring recovering of sight to the blind. Now, in this passage of Scripture, this portion, it's different than in Isaiah. Isaiah 61, he says that he would open the prison to them that are bound. But Jesus changed it, recovering of sight to the blind. I believe Jesus did that on purpose. It's because Jesus wanted them to know, yes, I'm here to open the prison doors for those that are bound. But he also wanted to say, I'm able to heal the blinded eyes that have been caught up in darkness. The eyes that have seen nothing but darkness and cannot see the light. The eyes that have been in a dark prison, held captive by their sin, by the world, by the will of their parents, by the will of their Society, by the will of their own flesh, been held captive in a prison that is dark. He says, I'm going to heal you and bring sight to the blind. You say, well, pastor, I don't see all this. That's all right. Jesus is going to open your eyes today. <laughs> He's going to open your eyes today. Pastor, I don't understand healing and, and miracles, all this stuff you're talking about, repentance and baptism, the Holy Ghost. I don't understand all that. That's all right. Today, he's going to open up the prison door. He's going to open your eyes. He's going to res rescue you from the darkness so that you may see the plan of God for your life. Is this all right here today? 
Finally, he says, I'm here to set at liberty them that are bruised. That word bruised, it means something that is pressed down. He's implying that there is the heart that is being pressed down under so much pressure. Pressure from this world. Pressure from our jobs. Pressure from our spouses, our families. Oh, hallelujah, I feel like I'm talking to somebody right now. The pressure to try to live right and do right. The constant pressure to try to do things correctly. Our society is drowning under anxiety right now and pressure. But Jesus says, I'm here to set free those that are bruised under the pressures of this world. He says, today, I'm going to set you free. Oh, hallelujah. Today, I'm not here to sermonize. I'm not here to bring you a beautiful sermon. I am here to tell you what Jesus wants to do. Jesus wants to preach the gospel to the poor. Jesus wants to heal the brokenhearted, to deliver the captives, to recover the sight to the blind, and set at liberty them that are bruised. But if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can be like Nazareth, so used and comfortable to the presence of God. Our disease, our sickness, our issues become so comfortable to us that we are willing to live with them rather than calling on the name of the Lord and asking for Him to take it. It's because of their being comfortable with the Savior next door that the Bible says in Matthew 13, 58, He did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Mark chapter 6 records the same story. It says, and He could there do no mighty works. Hallelujah. It's not until we're willing to step out and say, I believe again. I believe again. And I'm not just willing to believe. I'm willing to act in my belief. You know, faith is more than just an opinion. We can have an opinion. It's my opinion. Jesus is a healer. We can say that while sitting back in pain in our bodies. But the Bible says faith without works is dead. In other words, you can have an opinion as to what God's going to do, but that means nothing unless you're willing to step out in that faith. What do you mean, Pastor? I mean faith cannot just lay in bed. Faith has to get up and go to work. Faith has to act. 
Hallelujah. That means I'm going to do more than just sit here and sing. Oh, he's a wonder-working God. I'm going to go down to the altar and I'm going to call on the name of the Lord and believe that Jesus will heal me. Jesus will deliver me. Jesus is going to put my marriage back together. Jesus is going to bring my children back to the truth. Jesus is going to deliver me from sin. Hallelujah. I'm talking about walking in faith today that says Jesus is more than just a next door neighbor. He is my savior. He is my healer. He is my deliverer. Because if we compare Matthew 13 with he did not do many mighty works, yet he, set, he laid his hands upon a few sick people and healed them. Compare that to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. It says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Sounds a lot like what he just did in Nazareth, doesn't it? But look at this last part. And he healed every sickness and every disease among the people can I preach to you that's the will of Jesus that every sickness be healed that every disease be healed among the people but it's only gonna work when we say I'm not just comfortable with Jesus I'm not just a neighbor to Jesus I believe in him I believe in him I believe in him I'm gonna step out and I'm gonna see that healing hallelujah how about we stand today. Hallelujah. I want you to stay right where you are, but how about we stand and lift up our hands and begin to call on Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe. Jesus, I believe. Jesus, I believe. <clears throat> Can I tell you, that's the reason why Jesus had to go to the Gentiles. It's because the Jews were so comfortable with the law that they couldn't see what was right in front of them. Hallelujah. That's why he had to call a couple of fishermen. That's why he had to call a couple of fishermen. And on them he said, I release you to heal the sick and open the blind eyes. Listen, today I might not be much in your sight, and that's all right. Hallelujah, I'm not much. But I believe that God's anointing is upon my life and the lives of our leaders and ministers in this church. And I believe that God's going to use us today to heal your body, not us, but the Holy Ghost that is working through us to heal you, to heal your body. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Praise God. God, praise God. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do things differently. I'm not going to call a normal altar call. We're going to do something that we used to do in the Pentecostal church. And that is we're going to do a prayer line. If you're familiar with that, that means basically you just line up. And one by one, the ministry prays over you. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. One by one, the ministry will lay hands on you anointing you with oil.
and we'll pray over you. Yes, Brother Smith, hallelujah. We're going to pray for you first. Won't you come, buddy? Hallelujah.